Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. The following audio was recorded at Refresh Network Online on the 21st of April, 2021. I wanted to return to, to familiar verses, I guess, in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to focus on chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. But um, I want to read from the beginning of, beginning of the chapter. Let me, let me read that, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As I say, I'm going to focus on on those final few verses, uh, famous verses about uh, salt and light. But um, uh, just three preliminaries before we come to to those verses. Notice the continuity of what's gone before. When Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, that the you he has in mind are the same group he's been addressing in verses 11 and 12. That is the you who are insulted and persecuted uh, because of commitment to him. Yet uh, those people are also blessed even in the face of that persecution. Blessed in fact through all of the eight hallmarks of Christian character that have just been described. I heard them described recently in in this kind of way that in regard to sin these are those who show deep conviction, frank confession and joyful humility which leads to a life characterized by hunger, hunger for right living in mercy and love such that they take on a new role as those eager to bring peace and willing to accept hostility. Those are the people who are described by Jesus as the salt of the earth and light of the world. Second preliminary, notice the identity. Notice, in other words, that Jesus is stating a fact rather than commanding an action. You are the salt of the earth, he says. You are 
the light of the world. Not not you should be or you could be or look, come on, roll up your sleeves, try really, really hard. And maybe you, you might begin to be. But you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's just the way that it is. And later on, uh, of course, Jesus describes himself as the light of the world. And we, we get that uh, Jesus is dazzling, dazzling in gentleness and love, dazzling in mercy and grace, dazzling in wisdom and strength. It's in many ways very, very obvious, the sense in which Jesus is the light of the world. But here is Jesus gazing out at this motley band of fishermen, tax collectors and hangers on. And here is Jesus this morning gazing, as it were, also at us, motley band that we are, and to, to, to us, to them, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. It's stunning. Uh, third preliminary. Uh, notice that he's addressing the community. The yous here are all plural. It's you folks, you lot, y'all, uh, if you want to go American on us. It's it, good to be reminded of that in lockdown, isn't it? Um, that even though there is a certain convenience um, in, in, as it were, doing church on sofas and in pyjamas, we have not been able to, to be community in, in the true sense that Jesus uh, would expect it of us. Uh, and that has mean, meant some sort of deficit, some sort of struggle to be salt and light, as Jesus intends it as well. Uh, we, we've all found, I guess, uh, ways of doing community, even in the face of COVID restrictions. But we know it's been, in some senses, inadequate, incomplete. Uh, and to that extent, we're itching for a day when community can function fully again. We can be salt and light in the way that Jesus intends. So, so three preliminaries. Uh, a continuity in these statements uh, with what has gone before. An identity you are salt and light uh, before uh, any instruction. Um, and uh, the way that this speaks to a community. Uh, but of course, a community is made up of individuals. Uh, so we will also hear uh, some of this word to us as well. Well, then the verses themselves. Where I think we find one basic and glorious truth, which, which is that it is only by being different that Christians will ever make a difference to our world. Uh, only by being different will Christians ever make a difference to our world. So, so just look at these verses, as it were, together under those two headings. First of all, be different in the sense of, uh, of Jesus saying, don't lose your saltiness. God's people have always been called to be different, haven't they? Wind back to the Old Testament. And, and that was the that was the word that God had to his people. Be holy as I am holy. He, he rescues his people out of Egypt and he says, come out, leave Egypt, leave behind the customs. Never mind you've been there for hundreds of years. Never mind uh, uh, that, that you've had to learn their language. You've been affected by their lifestyle, their gods. Never mind that. Leave there. Come out. Be different. Uh, and then God takes people into Canaan. And as he does so, he says, look, be careful. Resist the customs of the of the people into whose land you're going, whose land you're going to possess. Don't don't allow yourselves to be assimilated to them. Don't become like them. Be different. Uh, and in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying something similar. Be different. In a dark world, be light. In a decaying world. 
be sold. Um, we, we get that. Uh, no fridges in the ancient world. The only way to keep food from going rotten was to, to rub it or to soak it in salt because salt kills the bugs so your food doesn't go mouldy. Um, shove enough salt on it um, uh, and you end up with that funny African meat called biltong, don't you? Um, I've, I've heard it said that you get enough salt into biltong and, and it never goes off. Preserve it forever. I'm not sure what it's like to eat once it's reached that stage, but that's another question. But obviously, for, for salt to achieve that, that preserving factor, it needs to be salty. And in a culture that thinks and speaks and believes in ways that, that are very much at odds with the Christian faith, the pressure to lose our distinctiveness, to, to stop being salty, is huge. Hold on to Christian thinking uh, on some of the hot topics of today sex and gender, end of life issues, uh, and your views will get noticed. Your speaking will get noticed. Uh, and, and, and we hear, don't we, as, um, uh, as ministers of the gospel and as Christian believers, we, we hear the cry to, to try and make our faith relevant. Church needs to adapt. It's got, to, it's got to start listening to what the world is saying and adjust its teaching to fit. No one's going to take the church seriously unless it does that. And at one level, you want to say, well, yes, for sure, the church needs to listen. We need to hear what people are saying. We need to hear about the, the struggles that people are facing. Unless we do that, we will be insensitive and harsh. But listening to the world and adapting to the world are two very different things. It's adapting to the world that has made the church irrelevant. Because when a church adapts its teaching to fit in, when it, when it ends up becoming just an insipid version of the world, when, it, when its message is nothing more than a watered-down version of what the world is already saying, and generally saying much better, then of course the church has nothing left to contribute nothing distinctive to say. The decline of the church directly related to its failure to hold to the historic truths. Because Jesus isn't saying here, be the sweetener of the earth. Tell everyone God loves them and leave it at that. No, he's saying be the salt of the earth. It's no coincidence that this comes after a section, after words from Jesus that speak about persecution. And it's no coincidence that the things that Jesus is going on to say uh, in the rest of chapter five concern the seriousness of sin, the reality of judgment. And just how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. There is this demand, this requirement this need to be different now of course our ambition is not not to be awkward you know there's no merit in in being objectionable uh, the beatitudes have, have corrected that uh, failing but we do have to be different because we are the salt of the earth and if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again it is no no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
So the first thing Jesus is saying here is, is be different. Uh, and second, Jesus says, because if you are different, you will make a difference. Uh, and this is his point in saying, don't conceal your light. Whenever believers think and act differently, they'll get noticed um, because they will be challenging the assumptions uh, of our world. I remember a, a time long ago when. Um, how did the words go? The words say um, this was Uncle Paul and Uncle Paul uh, it was Beth's my now my wife's uncle. And um, he said to us, um, what do you mean you want separate rooms? What's the matter with you? Don't you like him? Um, that, that was roughly his words. Um, Uncle Paul was a, was a hotel manager in Switzerland. Um, and he very kindly invited Beth and I, who were at that stage still going out and not even engaged, never mind married, uh, to come and enjoy a holiday. Um, and there we were sitting in, in, in one of his, or standing in one of his very nicest hotel rooms, uh, which he was offering us free of charge, uh, telling him that we actually wanted separate rooms. Um, I can still remember the shock on his face um, uh, and uh, his knees literally gave way as he collapsed onto the double bed. Um, we told Paul, Paul we, we did tell you this when we met you in London. He said, I thought you were just saying that because your father was there. Um, it was all overwhelming to him. Uh, Behave differently uh, and you get noticed. It could be in the workplace, people helping others rather than pursuing their own personal success. Could be in church leadership, making use of people, even when they're not the most gifted people available. Um, but caring for them brings them into areas of service. It, it could be a church, as it were, corporately challenging a woman's right to, to choose a gender. Uh, when a Christian woman in your church decides to keep an unplanned pregnancy and does so because she experiences the love and support of her church family as they help her to learn how to cope as a single mother. That would be distinctive living, wouldn't it? That would be out of the mould living. And difference like that is costly. It, it, it does mean being engaged with the world. And I think that's Jesus's point in the second illustration. When he says, you're the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. In one sense, Jesus is saying, look, this is just the way that it is. You can't help it. You know, like a town on a hill can't help but be noticed because it's, it's right up there and, and in, a, in a dark um, world. Its light is just evident. So it is with you. When Christians get together and they do community the way that Jesus commands, something distinctive is created and some light begins to be shared as a result. It did something about the way that they do community together, the, the food bank that they support, the new parents group that they create, the homelessness project um, that they help to run. It's just the kind of stuff they do. Uh, and it's not just uh, organized stuff either. It, it, it's kind of it's kind of organic built into the community. I don't know if you've come across um, this um, generosity project that has, um, uh, has been produced recently, uh, looking at the concept of generosity. There's, there's, a, there's a stunning um, example in, in one of the chapters there about the way that a church in Australia cared for a couple 
uh, who'd recently arrived from Africa as asylum seekers. And, and this was no church project. No one told them to do it. It just happened that a, that a member of the church was at the airport and noticed um, this couple with a, with a very young baby struggling to get a taxi because none of them had a baby seat and none of them would, were willing to take the couple with the baby without a baby seat. So, so the woman went over, offered them a ride, um, took them into town because she happened to have a baby seat. And she gave them a number, encouraged them to get in touch. And it ended up they came to church uh, and bit by bit, a whole network of care and support are gathered around this couple who'd arrived uh, as asylum seekers with nothing. It was a beautiful story of organic community care that was just happened. No one organized them. No staff team instructed them. They just did it. Uh, beautiful. Uh, when a Christian community behaves like that. But it will only happen if we engage. God hasn't called us to evangelical monasteries where we, we huddle together singing songs and stuff before hunkering down in the world for a week until we can all get back together and do it again next Sunday. It'd be balmy to do that, as balmy as bringing a light into your dark house and putting it under a bowl. You'd be missing the whole point. I remember once uh, hearing a story that the, the Australian evangelist John Chapman uh, told from his time working as a teacher. He said that in the first few months, um, uh, the staff room at the school where he was working was a miserable place, barely any conversation. Um, what there was consisted of moaning and gossiping um, and uh, backbiting. So John Chapman decided to make a difference. Each day he'd get up early and he'd read the papers. And he said he'd, he'd look through the papers for something um, some story that, that he reckoned he could talk positively and engagingly about. And then when everyone arrived in the staff room, he'd, he'd enter into conversation. That's what he'd seek to do. And a few months in, a colleague approached him and said, um, thank you, John. You've made such a difference since you arrived. I used to hate coming into the staff room. It was such a horrible atmosphere, but it's a really good place to be now. And no doubt John Chapman being John Chapman said, well, don't thank me. It's really down to Jesus. I'd love to tell you more about him. Uh, and off he'd have gone. Uh, it's that kind of low-key determination to be different that I think Jesus is speaking about here. Now, now we're nearly done, but before we finish, I, I'd just love to tell you about a really strange coincidence that happened when we were, we were studying this passage at Christchurch a few months ago. The, the, the week I was speaking uh, on these verses, I watched a, a film by the director Terence Malick, if you've come across him. It's a film called The Hidden Life. It's a stunning film uh, depicting the true story of a, of a man called Franz uh, Jägerstatter, who was a young Austrian farmer who was, as many others were, called up to fight for the Nazis in the Second World War. And the first requirement for his, was him to sign a pledge of allegiance to, to Hitler. But Franz wouldn't do it. Uh, out of conscience, he didn't feel able to. And for that, he was initially imprisoned uh, and put under huge pressure. His whole community turned against him. Uh, he was, uh, he'd uh, left behind a wife and small children. Uh, and in the film, it, it depicts him being told again and again, look, nobody cares. Nobody sees. Just sign the paper. Nobody's interested in what you do or don't do. Just sign the paper. Uh, over and over again. But his conscience wouldn't let him sign. And eventually he was executed by firing squad. 
And at the end of the film, these are the words that appear on the screen. The growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. It's a striking quote, and I didn't know where it came from. Or at least I didn't until two days later, um, when I got to the end of the novel that I was reading, which was George Eliot's Middlemarch. And there they were, the, the final lines of the book that I was reading at the time, ended with that quote. That things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been, is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Now, I appreciate that the idea of a hidden life seems at odds with hiding lights under bowls, but if you've ever read Middlemarch, you'll know that that's not what George Eliot is trying to say there. Now, she'd, she'd written an ordinary story about an ordinary woman who simply lived well. Nothing grand, no public statements, no social media to get herself noticed, just a godly, ordinary life. I wonder if we underestimate the difference of that, you and I. Do we think too little of simply aspiring day by day to live more closely in line with these Beatitudes? Do we think too little of simply aspiring to be Christ-like? to forgive others as Christ forgave us, to love others as Christ has loved us, and by that manner to be salt and light in our world. I wonder if uh, you and I need to rediscover that simple ambition to distinctive godly living in the detail of our lives today and tomorrow and in whatever lies ahead. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders. Or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Blessings. Blessings.